Hello again, and welcome back to Killing the Great White Male. This is episode 28. We left off last time talking about how the road to racism was paved with good intentions. We just can't leave those things up to business as usual. One person's good intention is literally another person's hell, especially when we're talking about the kinds of entrenched racism that we have in this country. Entrenched isms of all kinds, really, that we have not only in this country, but in our own individual hearts and heads. So, let's do our best Patrick Stewart and engage. He he, he even pulls a personal story um, that hit home with me. I, I, I tend, I, it's, it's, even though we're a, not a generation apart, but probably have a five to ten year gap, um, with with our age in the, in the group that we went to school with, it seems like a lot of the things and a lot of his mm. his um, maturity went the same route of my own maturity. Yeah. Reading some of the same things I read, processing them the same way I processed them, and then coming out on the other end enlightened. Um, I can't quite say the way I was enlightened because he's enlightened and he's he's bringing some enlightenment to me. But one story that really stuck when he was in school and high school or usually the high school and middle school, when he was um, he had a, a Haitian Haitian friends that lived close to him and they used to no one was, oh, you know, yeah. no one's no one's exempt from uh, playing the dozens. When you when when you want to talk about somebody, as we called it in my days in Chicago, when, when it was time to roast you, nothing is exempt. And how he his Haitian and Jamaican counterparts, he would basically lump them into the group of these Africans and immediately go to the story of calling them um, Akeem from coming to America. Yeah. I did that when I was in school, dude. That's oh like, <laughs> like we, we did those things. So it talks about how we even colorize our own people that is now, while they're not native, I know now they're not, they're not native black Americans, but they're, they're lumped into that category with us here in America. And here it is. We still have this classism or colorism or, or we're, we're not like them. And <laughs> they're different from us. I mean, you might've, you've heard me say it throughout this, this, this podcast right now. I was like, there's a very different ill that ADOS goes through than a, than a migrant yep. that comes to America. Like, um, yeah, I did these things and I, and I have, I had to, to look at those, um, those moments where I go, so am I racist? And I was like, I guess in some way how he defines it, it is, but I know who I am. I, I know myself. And again, I, I, he bought it back and reeled me back in with the separate but equal conversation. I, I think he drives that point home and, and, not that I was looking for something to agree with him on, but that's where I agree with him on. And yeah. it settles me for, for understanding and having a certain level of enlightenment throughout his readings or his book itself that still makes me want to say, go get this book, you, know, you guys. You got to read it. It's a great <laughs> book. And, and given our environment, oh. um, definitely given our environment, this is where I go. The, the, the My white friends that I have, I'm, I'm now realizing, like you said, interracial friendships are – are very are, are very uncommon. They say white people have white people have only have um, only twenty five percent of white people have a black friend. Yep. So I'm I'm a part of the twenty five percent for Royce. <laughs> well, <laughs> go like, get this book. Tell them to go get this book. Well, and when I 
when I look through my friends list, you know, Facebook's an easy like way to just represent a, a Rolodex. When I look through that, very much for people that I want to bring on uh, on this show or uh, our Where's Your Heart space, like it's it just is depressing as fuck because I'll I will literally scroll through hundred plus names before I'll find a person of color or, or a person outside of white experience or outside of a white male experience. It's just sickening every time I do it. I, I wanted, like I deleted Facebook off my phone cause I just got sick of the damn thing. Um, and it, it's a, it's a, it's a, but it, so on that, uh, that story. So th- one of the other branches of discussion on this that I think we, we touched on, but then didn't go down, but it, I'd love to now is around the power when we say like I've made the argument multiple times uh, sorry this person is a person of color you know they can't be racist here because the power structure is different and the the challenge I think is Kendi makes the 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 point that well that's really disempowering that's bullshit because it says that Obama didn't have power you know, that's the shortcut. Which is something that, and in the black community, it's essentially something that they make an argument for, or yeah. something, I say they, something that the black community makes an argument for all the time. Yeah. And I mean, they literally go, Obama was president, but the reason why he didn't do anything for black people is because he didn't have, you know, he, he's still a black guy. Yep. He, he he still couldn't do certain things because that that white people and in, in Congress couldn't deal with. And my argument back to them is he had the House and the Senate. That's the first time in U.S. history that's ever happened. And what happened during that time? That was when health care got passed, which with that all the problems, right? But those two years of struggle within the, that party when he did have the majorities, the result was – how many more people of color in this country? How many more people of 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 uh, in poverty? How many more people in in poorer conditions got health care? And the answer is yeah, millions, and my, right? Millions. And, and, and my personal opinion aside, because that's where I that's where I go. It's a lot of people just like to call it the Obamacare, Obamacare, yeah. Obamacare. Remember, it was called the Affordable Care Act. ACA. I'm not one of those people who. Yeah, I'm not one of those people who believed it was very affordable. I mean, I have yep. my own personal, not not me personally, but I have my own family experiences yeah. to to that I kind of resonate with that makes me say, no, this is really not that affordable. And yes, some of yeah. it needs to change. Not all of it needs to change. Just some of it needs to change. All but right. when we go back and call it Obamacare and we I, I, I know I've, I've made this argument in the past and. I'm almost ashamed of making some of this argument in the past. One of one of the black community's biggest issue is access to health care. And here yep. it was, he gave us access to health care. So, yeah, I'm, he did. the Affordable Care Act, he, yeah, he did that. I, well, so he the, did. The, 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 yeah, he did he, he didn't. He, he definitely right. drove uh, that we needed health care change. The, his original proposals were very different than what we ended up with. Um, very much, you know, so, so let's be really clear, but also, it's also very clear that this was needed because we have millions more people with health or access to healthcare than they used to. But as you pointed out, like we got to, we still have to unfucker this thing. Um, but so I think that notion of power, I think for me, I'm, I'm going to have to experiment with different language around it because it's. A lot of times when I see those kinds of comments being thrown around, it is in very white spaces. And so I think it is important to recognize um, 
that power is just as changing as everything else about us. That, and so when power is constructed in differently in different environments, if we're in a room with one Haitian kid and he's getting shit on, there's a power dynamic there. And yeah, then I think even, you know, no matter who's doing the shit throwing, there's racism at play. Very much so. You know, because I, I think there's power there. But I, I think that link, and he does, so this was, this actually leads to one of my issues and then I've got a favorite thing. We're, we're running a little long. You good? I'm, I'm okay. I, okay. I, I was, I was concerned with you, but I was going to let you pull us back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be late to that. All right. Um, it, so it's this, doop, doop, doop. when we talk about power and, and how that shifts and then, Oh, I lost the train of thought. I had it for a second, and then I interrupted. Okay. Um, <laughs> You'll find it back. Yeah, we'll find it. Um, when we talk about um, the fact that power is constantly shifting, he one of the statements he makes early on in the books that I, I almost, I, it was my point when I was like, oh, God, man, not another book that's going to make this mistake. He talks about racism as though it is the predominant problem that must be solved. Um, and... And you and I have actually had parts of this conversation. One of the things black feminism has has really pushed me on is that racism, sexism, homophobia, ableism, and you can go right down the list of isms, and they're all around this other bigger topic called identity politics. Um, right. That that these things are all symptoms, and so yes, we have to address symptoms, right? Because you can't you can't fucking cure cancer when somebody's bleeding. Right. You got to address the symptom mm-hmm. of the bleeding. Right. You got to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have to address what's at the core and what's at the core doesn't ever want to be examined because it's a power structure that even like we I rip on capitalism a lot. It's actually unfettered capitalism that I have a real problem with. But it's uh, or the way our socialism is actually being applied to corporations instead of citizens. Um, but the the issue behind all of that is this notion. It's this seed of thought around power that goes far back beyond the 600 year history that he very clearly traces. He does the best job that I've read so far of making the argument that it's with uh, the Portuguese, Henry, the navigator uh, King, the Portuguese King, when capitalism and racism are really born into Western civilization, Western uncivilization, I would say, um, in, in a crazy fucking way that is is toxic and sick and i and i'm like yes absolutely and that created a very prevalent prevalent disease for us in this country right now yes trace that the problem is the root the problem to me is that the roots go back even farther it goes back to the uh, greek notion that as men we are separate from nature um and mm-hmm. that sets up all the arguments, the racist arguments that are used, by the way, that the closer you are to nature, the the, clo- the worse you are and the less human you are, right? That are all racist bullshit tropes. But that goes back to the Greco notion that we are here to name all of these bits, that we get to have power over these bits, that we get to parse them. If we want to talk about the, one of the problems in white institutions, it's that you have uh, communication and journalism in this hall and you have... Uh, uh, history over there at American studies, whatever the fuck that is over there. And, um, uh, 
uh, arts, they're over here. Um, and science, you're over here. It's that we create all these little segments. Well, who did that taxonomy? That was the Greeks. So when we right. look at Western civilization, uncivilization, the roots of this are right there. It's, it's all these problems go back to the beginning. Now, he does, I think I probably didn't give him enough credit for <laughs> reconciling that because when he gets into the phase where he really talks about what it was like for him at Temple in grad school to be really challenged by black feminism and women of color and lesbians of color really talking you know, about expanding his personal horizons around that stuff and talking about if you're going to, to fight for the black community, you have to fight for all of us. Um, Mm-hmm. Which left such a big impression on me. Um, that and that was a challenge for me. Yeah, I I, I was afraid of that. <laughs> um, I, I my experience, I just sat there crying because it was so amazing to read another man who was using this stuff. Um, like as he was pulling out quotes, I'm like, I've read that article. I've read the whole fucking thing, and oh my god, I highlighted the part that he just quoted, like. Yeah, this really is important stuff to me as a man. Um, it left such a, and it, and I guess that also gave me a window into like how how important it is to do this work as a as a white man because of what it might mean well, it, to everybody else. What does it mean to you to not be alone when you're struggling against an oppression? That moment in the book when I read. Kendi quoting all of these black feminist and womanist uh, authors, authors that I've read. And it was literally the first time since I dove back in, in the, over the last year, the first time I'd seen another man quote these people and say that these were important to him. And it immediately moved me to tears. I immediately had to stop and just pause and drink in the moment of knowing what it was like to not be alone. So I guess I'm leaving with that. What does it mean to you to not be alone when you are struggling, especially struggling against oppression, which means that there's some part of you that has been disempowered and yeah, as white men, we experience that. And our ability to name it, notice it, and call for backup, that is a skill we have to practice and learn. Looking forward to our next episode. Talk to you soon.